Yay, you're here! I'm Lisa Whittle, and welcome to the Jesus Over Everything interview show, affectionately known as Joe's Friday Friend, where everyone I sit down and talk with is either an old or a new friend of mine. Up today, a new friend, Jonathan, also known as J.P. Pakluda. And man, is this a really good show. J.P. and I have a lot to talk about. This pastor and best-selling author of new book, Outdated, definitely brings straight talk and truth, and also some really important conversation about relationships, lies, and things like compatibility versus attraction when it comes to dating. I asked him all kinds of things and he went with it, which I appreciated. JP is blunt and interesting and he gives us some incredible relationship counsel and strong words about Jesus too. This is a not miss show for sure, especially if you're a young adult or if you have one in your life or you know one, send them this show. And I'm here for it today on Joe. So right off the bat, I have to tell you something you've probably been told uh, maybe a time or 12. You have like a cool DJ voice. <laughs> have well, you ever had someone say to you like I you have. should be a... Yeah, of course it, you have. It, it changes though. Like there's, you know, it, sometimes uh, like this week, I feel like my my voice is kind of hanging on by a thread a little bit because I've, I've I've overdone it in the, in the area of speaking. And um, and so it gets a little bit more Barry White ish in the in, in those times. <laughs> How but, can yeah. that be bad? How can yeah. Barry White voice be bad uh, though? Just, that can't be bad. Yeah, you just never know. But yeah, no, thank you for that. No, it's awesome. I love it. It's super super good. I was like the first time I heard you, I don't even know where it was, like on some kind of clip or something. I was like, he's got a cool, it could be a DJ voice. So that's neat. Love it. Also, okay, so hang with me because I'm going to get to something, but uh, it's going to take me a minute to get there. So you might be like, where is she going with this? But it's going to get back to you. So my daughter's a senior in high school. We live in North Carolina, but Baylor came to recruit at her school last year. And ever since then, it's been her number one, for whatever reason, I'm in deep mourning over it. But she loves it. She loves, absolutely loves it. So we went and visited the campus earlier in the school year. And We went to dinner with some kids from there and they started telling us about Pastor JP. And uh, so I'm like, oh, that's cool, you know, whatever. And then we take a tour of the school and the girl who's giving us the tour tells us about Pastor JP. And so I'm like, who is Pastor JP? I I have to tell you, I didn't know you. I had no idea. And, And then I finally put it together and I thought, I want to talk to this Pastor JP. <laughs> well, here we are. Yeah, and, but I had no idea you had a book coming out, but I, it was all very serendipitous. How much do you love serving the kids at Baylor, sort of as a local pastor there? I know there are other pastors in the area, but you do serve mm-hmm. a lot of Baylor kids. Yeah, there's a, amazing pastors in the area, much, much more amazing than I. Uh, I my passion is young adults. And so college, um, that post-college 20s and 30s. So I'd led a ministry for 12 years, Lisa, in Dallas called The Porch. And it's it's based in Dallas, but we really had 20 campuses around the country. And I believe that young adults are the future of the church. And so I wrote a book, Welcome to Adulting. 
and then wrote a book, Welcoming the Future Church, which really is, that's the premise, that's to ministry leaders about essentially how to lead a young adult or college ministry, because I think they are often overlooked by the church when they're really the most powerful force within the church. And I can expound on that if needed, but uh, I have a huge passion and love being in a college city and love uh, just what God is doing through the students at Baylor University. Well, it's awesome. I mean, I, I know you're pouring in a powerful way because these kids were, they were lit up, you know, talking yeah. about, and, and it was funny because they were saying, now he's really blunt, he's mm. really to the point, you know, he's really, sometimes he tells us things that are uncomfortable. And, mm -hmm. you know, as a parent, I'm like, oh, I'm all in here yeah. because, you know, first of all, I'm blunt and I'm mm -hmm. very to the point. So I'm yeah. thinking, you know, and as a, as a parent of college kids, which this isn't my first rodeo with a kid going to college, but I'm sitting here thinking to myself, you know, that this is the kind of pastor that you want your kids in college to have, honestly. Yeah. Well, so I, so. I, I love that influence there um, and think it's it's amazing. I love what you're doing there. Thank you, friend. Uh, yeah, I love how you serve not just students, but people online as well. So you do a Q&A. Is it a Q&A Friday on yeah, your Friday. on your Instagram? Friday. Friday Q&A and so Friday Q&A yeah that sounds better yeah Friday yeah. Q&A yeah it's that uh, Friday Q&A that Friday Q&A <laughs> yeah. yeah I wasn't going to ask you for the jingle but yeah. I pre I prefer that so that's good <laughs> also did you sing so you were you a singer at a different point in your life or something because you sing well as well <laughs> no I don't I just kind of got that Friday Q&A I can sing one line uh in tune and then I then it will go <laughs> off after that okay Okay, so that's all we ask. Um, but the first day that I hopped on to that Friday Q&A, here's what you covered. Smoking weed, is it a sin to drink, if churches should market, and should pastors quit selling books? I mean, this was the first time that I hopped onto there, and I loved it so much. Have you always been, I mean, this is kind of a dumb question because it's like, I already kind of know the answer, even though I don't know you at all. But have you always been that straightforward guy, that very blunt person? Um, I don't know if I've always been that. Probably not, because I, I became a Christian at 21. And so before that, I was uh, manipulative and worldly and and um, just just a lot of bad things. But I, as I talk to people about reaching the next generation, my my first point, and I kind of have a message that I give on that, and my first point is lead with authenticity, that nobody wants to follow a replica of their favorite celebrity pastor. Like people want truth between the eyes, and they want it with love, and, and the church has whiffed throughout history on the balance of truth and love and love and truth, and how do we do that well? But I think clarity is kindness, and um, I think leaders remove confusion. And so as, as I answer questions, especially in the format of Friday Q&A, where it's a short form answer, you, got, you have to get to the point. And so it's not the most pastoral, most compassionate. I mean, that's going to be criticism of me in that Friday Q&A is, wow, that, that could be really nuanced. And, and they're right. It could be. I just have to answer on a tiny little screen in, in 15 seconds. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the answer, and hopefully they have places where they can have that conversation.
Yeah, and I I think you do a good job of saying like, look, this is a conversation that is is a longer conversation. There is a more nuanced conversation here. I think you make that clear and you say, hey, you know, this is not because some of the things that you tackle are like pretty big. So you know, but they're but they're real questions people have. They're they're asking and they're, they're important questions. And so I appreciate you taking them on. This these are things that young adults really want to know because I, I assume most of these questions are coming from young adults. I can just kind of tell by the flavor of the questions. But of course, there are also questions that not just young adults have, and I think they're really important to tackle. So I think you do a good job of of not trying to just. I say, hey, this is relegated to a one word answer, but I can just tell you're pretty straightforward. So I appreciate that. And I think I think in this day and time, people appreciate just getting to the point. So I think that's something you're doing super well there as well. So. Yeah, well, thank you. In the Q&A, you also have said, hey, you know, I, you've admitted to being into porn at one point in your life and you struggled mm-hmm. at some point with anxiety. Why is it not only important, but actually crucial that pastors lead the way with transparency right now? Because I think probably the greatest evil in the church is cultural Christianity or someone, you know, which is which is led by and large by someone trying to pretend to be someone they're not from the stage. So it kind of goes back to that lead with authenticity. Um, I, I don't, that's a miserable game to try to get in front of a bunch of people and pretend to be perfect. You know, I spoke at a seminary once and I talked on um, pornography. Well, I, well, actually I, was, I talked on leading with authenticity uh, was one of the points. And I shared this story about pornography and afterwards the feedback from the time was just like, hey, you can't say that word in a mixed gender audience. And and as a pastor, you need to present to be holy and all these things. And as I was reading that feedback, Lisa, I began to weep, literally was moved to really sad emotions because I just thought they will never reach them. They will never reach the next generation as, as they try to pretend to give the appearance of holiness rather than to pursue holiness by clinging to Christ and being honest about their own depravity. Like that's what builds a bridge. You know, Brene Brown talks about vulnerability being one of the empathy, being one of the most powerful forces in the world and just the power of, of the words, me too. And, and so I, I want to lead with that. I mean, there's a reason why the scripture preserves the verse that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, but did not sin because we can, we can relate to somebody that was tempted in every way that we are. And, and so he uses our own depravity because uh, because I have sinned, I can say I've been tempted in every way you you are, and in many cases have fallen have fallen or, or have have made poor choices in the midst of that temptation, and have regretted it, and have found grace in Christ, have found the freedom that the cross offers, and and it's almost like I was in a cage of of pornography, sexual addiction, drug use, alcoholism, um, long list of vices. I was in a cage of those things that I had willingly walked in and then the door shut behind me and I was trapped. And then I met Jesus and he handed me a key to unlock and he unlocks the door and he lets me out of the cage and then he gives me the key. And, and he says, now your story has power and you can unlock the cage 
for other people. And so he's taken my mess and he's made it my ministry. He's taken my mess and he's made it my message. And so that's that's really what I do is I go and share that. Then people are like, wow, I can't believe you said that. I've never heard a pastor say those things. And by the way, me too. And how do I find freedom like you? And then I can say, oh, by the way, his name is Jesus. Hmm. That's so good. And you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, I think when you are removed from these conversations with young adults uh, and you don't really know, you don't really know, but you're just like, you're removed from the conversation. You don't really know the things they're struggling with. You don't really know the things they're saying. You don't really know the things they're dealing with. It's really easy to say, hey, don't say those words. Don't talk about those things. But when you sit with someone, I mean, it's just like with it's like with anything, right? When you walk across the room and you engage with someone and you have a conversation with someone, then you can't unknow. So it's like you can't unknow the things that you know by talking with so many young adults and hearing so many of the burdens, let alone you having experienced these things yourself, right? So it would do a disservice for you to get up there and then just not go for it, I guess is the way that I would say it. Not talk about the things that you know, you know? Well, even, yeah, even atheist um, ha- has said, you know, how much do you have to hate someone to not share truth with them? And so much of ministry's pattern recognition. I mean, you just see, you have a front row seat of seeing people do things that lead to life and people that do things that lead to death over and over and over and over. And that's really this book, Outdated, is written on that premise. Like I've seen thousands, quite literally thousands of relationships over 14 years of ministry. And I see people who date in a way that God blesses and honors and they pursue him and they spare themselves heartache and heartbreak and and all of the shrapnel that comes from dating the way that the world does. And then I've seen people date all the ways that the romantic comedies we watch and sitcoms and reality shows teach us to date and experience the manic highs, but the manic low, low, low lows, the despair, the breakup, the heartache. And we're living in this this place where, you know, people who desire marriage are getting married less, married later, and marriages aren't lasting. And we have more help on on the topic of relationships than ever before and yet we're the worst at it of any generation that has ever lived and so i'm just kind of standing on this soapbox of scripture and truth and saying man something has to change like like our world is being divided and destroyed slowly one relationship at a time and so to fix it to change the world uh, i'm i'm suggesting really god suggests i think um, let's start when boy meets girl, you know, let's start at the, yeah. the genesis of a relationship. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk about the, the new book outdated. First off, you're running an, an arranged marriage contest. Okay. Yeah. You, you, you knew I had to talk about that. Yeah. That, that is so fascinating. Okay. So, you know, I tried to get my very eligible 20 year old son mm. to apply, but he was like, mom, you're nuts. I mean, he, he was like, no way I'm going to do it. But I just mm-hmm. have to tell you, JP, if you know of a girl 
I am so here for this. And I think a mother setup is, is actually perfect. I see nothing wrong with it. I think it's perfect. Mm. I think you and I together could set could set him up mm. and it would be so great. You're like, I don't have time for that. But listen, mm. he did not he did not apply for this contest, yeah. but um we'll but he's a it's not perfect too candidate. Late. Yeah. Jonathanpercluded.com. Okay. <laughs> Jonathanpercluded.com. Have him fill out the application. And I'll just tell you, I got a, I got a lot longer list of females than I do males. So he, he'd have a, a good chance of winning. Well, he's, um, he's a catch, but I don't know if I could get him on there. But anyway, also, I have to say, I watch Married at First Sight religiously. Now, have you seen this show at I all? I haven't. I've heard all about it because of because of the contest we're running, but I, I've never seen an episode. I'm sure. Okay. Well, it's fascinating. But okay, so is your premise that compatibility is more important than initial attraction then? Uh, no. My premise, honestly, is that compatibility in, in some ways is a farce, that no two sinners are compatible, that given to our flesh, we will only repel. And so, I, you know, these are big statements. So let me let me just yeah. I may have okay. a minute of landscape here. <laughs> of course, here. yeah. Um, think about this because people push back. So I'll, I'll build my case here and just say most people approach marriage like they can marry anybody they want to in the world, and and most people don't know what they're looking for. Their list is something like I want him to be this height and have this color eyes and have this job and this income, or I want her to have this figure look like this, um, you know, and be interested in these hobbies. And so they can choose based on that criteria and the vast majority of marriages fail. So about a divorce rate, somewhere around 50%, maybe a little bit lower. And then you, you have this, this significant number of people who remain married, but they're not happy. And so if most marriages end and divorce doesn't happen flippantly, like a divorce represents months of, of, of no intimacy of, being called names, arguing, not being happy to the point where you stand before a judge and say, I no longer want to be married to this person, right? That doesn't happen overnight. And and so then you got that, that's half of them. And then you have this other, we're just going to be roommates because I can't stand you, but I don't want to divorce you for, for whatever reason. And so most marriages fail. And so I'm just saying like, people don't know what they're looking for. That's what we learn from that very simple statistic. And and yet you look at arranged marriage still has the lowest divorce rate. And so let me go on record. Now, don't steal this soundbite. I am a fan of, I'm a fan of arranged marriage. It's the only biblical model we have in the scripture. But this is what I mean by arranged marriage. I don't mean married at first sight. Um, what I do mean is Song of Solomon says they're, they're friends and family praised their love more than wine or, or they appreciated the way that they went together more than the party. And so your friends and family saying, Hey, I know you and I know them. And I think y'all would be good together. Like that's, that's what I think a modern arranged marriage is. So all I'm doing in this contest is like, I, I don't have any interest in making someone get married or, you know, married at first sight or anything like that. It's not that, but I can look through these candidates. I can look through the way they ask, answer these questions. I can interview some of them and then kind of come to one guy and one girl where I say, I think that you guys would be great. A, a great couple. I think you would be a force to be reckoned with in, in ministry. 
And the lie or the thing that no one wants to believe is, is that marriage is much more practical than anybody wants to believe. Most people, when they're searching for a spouse, what they're really looking for, like if they were to be completely honest with you, is they're looking for a feeling. They're looking for someone who makes them feel a certain way. And then really, if, if in that feeling, that moment of having that feeling, they make the vulnerable decision to say, I do, I'll spend the rest of my life with you before the feeling fades, then they're married, right? Because in reality, you have those feelings for a lot of people throughout your life. It just, when, whenever those feelings fade, you end the relationship with them. You say, I, you know, I'm no longer in love with you or I have feelings for somebody else. That's not training for marriage. That is training for divorce. Because, because any two people who marry each other will at some point in that marriage, if given enough time, no longer feel for each other at some point, right? They're going to wake up and say, I, you are so much on my nerves right now. You, you have really annoyed me. And they have to have something else that kicks in at that point called a commitment saying, hey, I don't, I don't feel in love with you right now, but... I promised, I made a promise before God and before these people that I would partner with you for a lifetime. And so I'm going to honor that promise regardless of how I feel. Mm. This is all so true. I, I, I can say this because I've been married tw almost 26 years. This is everything you're saying is true. And when you said it's much more practical than people think, it, it, it's it's true. I mean, it, it really, really, truly is. And, and people are looking for that feeling, chasing the feeling. Um, I, I think this book is, I really think every person either looking for someone, dating someone needs to read it. Even people maybe who've been divorced and dating to get into a second marriage. I really think it is a book that everybody should be reading for relationship purposes. Every chapter is set up with a lie and then a truth right off the bat. What's the benefit to singles when they ditch these lies? No, no matter where they've come from, what, what is the benefit when they ditch the lie? I think the benefit is they're going to uh, save themselves from major heartbreak and heartache that most people don't even think that, you know, don't even think that that's possible. They think, man, heartache and heartbreak is just a part of dating. And I, I'm like raising my hand and I'm saying, man, what if God never meant for you to experience a breakup? Like, as I read the Bible, I don't know that God ever meant for us to experience the heartache that we now call normal when, when people are, are getting married with an average of somewhere like 12 relationships prior to that. Uh, I, I think we're experiencing a level of heartache that we weren't made for. Um, God didn't intend for us. I think um, the benefit is is a is a boring marriage. Now, what do I mean by boring marriage? A marriage that's not wouldn't warrant a reality TV show because what what is what is interesting to, in reality TV is drama. It's the I love you, I hate you. Oh my gosh, he slept with her and her. I can't believe it. it it's it's oh look at her, she's crying all night. She's not crying in the pillow. Ha ha. My I'm so engaged. I can't believe she said that. Oh my goodness, she's so drunk. That's what's interesting to our flesh. And, and you don't want a marriage marked by that. You want a marriage marked by commitment and servitude and care. And, um, and really what, what you know, Jesus says, or the Holy Spirit says in, in Ephesians chapter 5, you know, that, that a husband would lay his life down for his wife, putting her interest before 
his own, that a wife would serve her husband and, and care for him. And First Peter 3, that, that he would live with her in an understanding way, being considerate of all her desires, right? This is the kind of marriage that we want. That's the benefit of doing this the right way. Most people have just lost hope of that. And so where I get to say is like, man, I've done things all the wrong ways. I've sat in the muck and the mire of, of the consequences of my choices. And I've experienced the redemption and the grace of when we do things the way that God desires. And I found life there. Not only that, but I've seen the, the likes of thousands of relationships. I've done dozens of weddings myself and seen, you know, what works for people. And I'm just saying God's way is better. Uh, absolutely. You know, when you said a boring marriage, the first thing, even before you said the word drama, I literally wrote down drama free because that's the truth of it. And I love this sort of making a case for a boring marriage, because to me, a boring marriage is the best marriage because it is so rich, so full drama free, not meaning never having complications because you and I both know having uh, had long marriages that uh, there are always things to work through. There are always complications, but that's different from this constant drama that you're, that we're talking about that I think, you know, in some ways, kids are not believing that you can actually have a, a marriage that um, is stable and still really rich and fun, you know? And so I th I love that you're making a case for it. Uh, in my latest book, Jesus Over Everything, I talk about holiness over freedom. And this is really the case I make in that chapter that the irony of what I call human imagined freedom mm -hmm. is we often become enslaved by the things we are free to do. I say the same thing and welcome to adulting. Let's do go. <laughs> okay. All right. We're on the same page. See, we didn't even know each other. In dating, what things can enslave us? Yeah, that we're free well, to do. I want to unpack this idea because it's a profound one, and so you know, get get the book Jesus over everything, and adult and, and adulting, <laughs> and and learn about this concept because it's 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 really, I think it blows people's mind. So as as a person, this is by the way a huge part of my story of salvation was was a, a silly children's story about a horse that was a metaphor to to this concept we're talking about but often like ultimately as a, as a person we want freedom that that is a satanic desire uh, when it's conformed to the world meaning the mantra of the satanic bible is do whatever you want and that's really what everybody wants to do when they when they want it when we want to be rich it's because we interpret money as the ability to do whatever we want if we want to be successful it's because we interpret success as the ability to do whatever we want the problem is when you do whatever you want you start to do things that you can't stop doing so take my story for example i want the freedom to look at pornography and so I look at pornography and then again and again and again, and all of a sudden I look up and I realize, wow, for the past decade, I've been looking at porn every day and I've not really done much else and I can't stop. I, 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 I can't stop. I'm, I'm stuck in this thing that I wanted the freedom to pursue and that's slavery. And so in, in dating, right, people will date the wrong person because they gave their heart away and and i'm just like uh they'll they'll cross boundaries sexually they'll begin to have sex or do things um to to experience the pleasure of sex 
And then that will keep them in the wrong relationship too long. But not only will it keep them in the wrong relationship too long, it'll keep them away from the right relationship. Now, people are hearing that right now and you're realizing you've been dating that dude for three and a half years, wondering when he's going to propose. And, and here's the answer. He's not going to. And if he did, it's going to be a disaster because you're stuck in that dead end relationship that's not honoring God. It's not an act of worship. It's it's an act of worship to yourself. And, and, and it's hard. You're like, what am I supposed to do? Break up with him? I can't do that. I'll be devastated. I know because you gave your heart away and not just your heart, but your body and yourself. And it goes both ways. I don't mean to pick on women. It certainly guys, guys have done the same thing and worse. And so that would be a picture of wanting the freedom to pursue something in dating and becoming a slave. Mm. Okay. I'm just sitting here in this moment saying I'm soaking this in. I hope and believe that as someone else hears that they, they soak that in because that's, that's powerful. That is um, game changing. And I, I think the the freedom and the holiness concept is, is one of the most powerful things that, that we can ever realize. And I think it's such a lie of Satan, right? That, that he feeds us this, you just want to be free. You just want to be free. Of course we want to be free. <laughs> we just can't get it ourselves, right? We get it. We get it of the spirit and we do it the right way. And then we come the most free we'll ever be in our life. And that applies to dating. So powerful. This month on the show is all about simplifying our relationships. What's maybe your like number one thing, a top thing you would say would simplify our romantic relationships if we would do it right now? In a dating and dating. Yeah. yeah. Just, or yeah, you know, any romantic relationship. Yeah. Well, that would be dating, I guess. <laughs> well, I just like, uh, well, marriage my, could be a different. Yeah. Yeah. The first thing that, that comes to mind is for dating is for dating people. So um, if we want to go marriage, I, I've got a different answer, but the first thing that comes to mind for dating people is define dating simply as I'm trying to find someone to spend the rest of my life with. And so I need to know, like I'm interviewing, I'm interviewing them for a job. So I need to know what skills they need to make them good at the job. And so if I'm a girl and I'm dating a guy, I, I want to know, I want to, I'm looking for someone who's going to be a great husband and a great father. Right. And so I need to know what are the character traits and qualities of someone who would be a great husband or a great father. And then I, I need to know what experiences I need to have with this person to identify if he would be a great husband or a great father. And it's that simple. Like that's that that is dating. It's the job interview. So how can I find out as quickly and effectively as possible if he would be a great husband or a great father? And if I'm dating someone and I'm convinced they'd be a great husband or a great father, then then hopefully I'm to a place where like let's we should get married. And we say, well, what if there's not chemistry? And I say, well, it, it depends. Like I don't think you need to be a martyr. Like I don't think you need to marry someone you can't stand. But I also wouldn't overvalue chemistry and attraction because the scripture says charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting, right? And and um and so there has to be something else we look for because those two things, chemistry and attraction fade. And so there, you know, there has to be something else to carry us beyond that. So if I was to summarize that, how do I simplify dating? It's know what you're looking for and know how to identify if they are what you're looking for. You know, it's that simple. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Okay. So as you say that this, this comes to mind. So do you think that most of the time then if like, if, if you were to say that you were saying, know what you're looking for, would most people or a lot of people 
Would they know that they needed to look for what's going to make a great husband, what's going to make a great father? I mean, I think some or you know, other way, wife and mother, whatever. Or would they more say, I'm I'm looking for, you know, someone to have fun with, someone to travel with, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a whole chapter on this in in Outdated. Um, Most people are looking for a feeling. Um, I'm looking for someone who makes me feel a certain way, whether they realize it or not. And yes, most people today date for fun, even in the church. It's like, well, I'm just dating for fun. I want to experience the manic highs and manic lows of dating. In fact, we get addicted to it. Then I would say, stop dating for fun, date for purpose. And when you date for purpose, it's a lot of fun. When you date for fun, it's a lot of friction, a lot of heartache, a lot of heartbreak. So date for purpose date on purpose, not for fun. That's good. I love that. Okay. Amazing. All right. We're going to do this really quick. Just give me kind of your first response thoughts here. Most awesome place you've ever traveled. I'm going to say Israel and Jordan and even more specifically Petra. That'd be hard to top. Mm. Most scared you've ever been. One time. I thought I was having a heart attack. It's kind of in the throes of an anxiety attack. And I was driving down the road, my left arm went numb. And I thought, all right, this is it. Like this is this is where I meet Jesus right here on the side of this road. It's not it's not how I thought it was gonna go down. Um, <laughs> oh man. I was fine. That's that's scary. Yeah. Have you gotten that checked out? Because that's not good. Or are we still just <laughs> yeah, yeah. plugging along? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I went to the hospital and I was I was fine. Uh, I think that's the most scared. You know, that's that's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. All right. What gives you hope right now? Um, the cross and the empty grave. I mean, I'm, I'm going to die and be with God forever, and uh, in in eternal riches and glory forevermore with Jesus. And so that reality gives me hope. I think young people in the church that get it and they want to give their lives for the sake of Christ, they want to take up their cross and follow Him. That gives me hope. Mm. All right, friend, this is my last question. I ask it of every single guest. What is the last thing you'd say about Jesus if you could only say one more thing? Yeah. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through Him. And so um, every religion out there has statements of exclusivity. Uh, Christianity is an exclusive, um, has an exclusive way to salvation, but it is the most inclusive of all the religions as Jesus has his arms open wide saying, I did this for you to pay your way in. The only thing that anybody can do in hell is pay for their sins forever. Um, That's the only to-do list in hell, pay for your sins forever. And the only person who doesn't go to hell is the person whose sins have been paid for. So every sin will be paid for either in hell or on the cross. And and I choose to believe that Jesus paid for my sins on the cross. So therefore, I don't have to pay for them in hell. I'm going to be with him forever. And I walk in that confidence. And that's why I have hope. That's so good. Thank you so much for being with me today, JP. It's been an honor and it's been a great conversation. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, friend. Thanks for having me on.
Thanks for listening to Jesus Over Everything with Lisa Whittle. You know what would be awesome? If you left a five-star review about this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps expose this podcast to listeners, which helps expose people to the gospel. Would you do that? Thank you so much.